man, you gotta get a, you gotta get a, a cheat sheet or something. That's terrible. That'll kill us. You like that? You like that? I'm just about that action, boss. You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. You are listening to Run the Film with Kirk Morrison and Ted Nguyen, only on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Run the Film, Week 2 edition. I'm your host, Kirk Morrison, along with my co-host, Ted Nguyen. So much to get caught up on Week 2 of the National Football League. Ton of storylines, news and notes, guys changing teams or teams getting rid of guys. A lot still to talk about here coming up as we preview week three as well as we finish up week number two. But you don't want to hear from me. You want to hear from Ted Nguyen as well. So, Ted, what did you see in week number two? Did anything catch your eye? No, they want to hear from you. You're you're the (laughs) upset of the week guy, and you're you're hitting those. And we'll talk more about that later. But, um, yeah, right now, I mean, it's already week two, and there's a bunch of guys want to get traded. Minka Fitzpatrick got his wish, got traded to the Steelers. Jamal Adams is... Yeah, he just deleted all his jet stuff from his social network. So it seems like a trade request might be imminent. Uh, Jalen Ramsey requested a trade, and for some reason, the Jaguars had him talk about it today. Um, so, yeah, it, it's kind of a weird dynamic right now. I mean, have you have you seen this kind of thing happen in your time in the league? I've seen this happen, and I've actually been down this road before, Ted. Uh, I go back to my second year in the National Football League in 2006, I was a member of the Oakland Raiders, and that was the year in which we played five preseason games, right? We played in the Hall of Fame game plus the normal four preseason games. And I remember us, I think we either went four and one or five and no, I think, in the preseason. We felt pretty good about ourselves. We had a head coach in Art Shell who had returned to coaching. We had an offensive coordinator by the name of Tom Walsh, who also had been away from football, but they came back to kind of rekindle the uh the the yesteryears of Raider football well I'll say this we start the season off and it just didn't start the way that we wanted we got beat up pretty bad and put it like this we went two and 14 that season two wins and 14 losses and the crazy thing about the two wins is they happened in back-to-back weeks so it wasn't like they were spread out so I kind of understand what a lot of players are going through it was just a situation because at the end of that year, Art Shell was fired after one season. So I kind of understand where players are, are feeling right now. You feel like you're on a ship, and yet you already feel like it's already taken on water. You don't feel comfortable that this ship is going to make it all the way to its destination. And a lot of players, they get that sense. They, there's a feeling. You just know. You walk in the locker room, and it's, do I believe in what my coach is telling me? Is my coach really helping me out in my career or is he just kind of just saying what lip service, what he thinks I want to hear? And I think that's what a lot of players are saying. Like when you look, you talked about the Miami Dolphins. Everyone knows what's going on in Miami. You, you got to be a, uh, you know, a, a fool to not understand it. This team is not about winning in 2019. They are trying to tear it down and build it toward the future. Some other teams, they're just, you know, off seasons went well. And then you get to the real season and or the regular season, and it hasn't started the way you want to. So this is the job of a lot of coaches to reel those players back into it and let them know, like, look, this is the mission. This is what we got to do. This is why we lost. This is how we can win. But you have to have that. But a lot of players, 
players talk in this league. They all talk. Everyone's on social media. Everyone has each other's phone number. And it's one thing that I go back to my career and say this, Ted. I used to see people on other teams, and I said, man, that looks like they're having so much fun. Gosh, I wonder what that feels like to have fun playing the game. Where there's other guys who right now are teams that are 0-2 or 1-1, not playing their best football, and they're not having fun. That's what I'm seeing right now with all these rumblings and guys requesting trades. Yeah, it's a big, I feel like it's a big step for you to, you know, it was one thing to be dissatisfied with the team. And, you know, I'm sure it's terrible going into a building, not trusting the leadership, not knowing exactly what's going on and just losing. But it's, it's a big step for you to say, okay, now I want to be traded. I want to get off this team. Uh, is there a way that you think these teams could kind of reel these guys back in and try to get them to believe in the vision again? Well, you have to. You have to be a salesman. Uh, that's what the head coach has to do. He, he That's his job. His job is to make every guy on that team believe in the mission, believe in the task at hand, believe that even if everyone outside of the building is saying how you won't, the head coach has to show you how we will, how we will move forward, how we will take away their the other team's best player, how if we do what we're supposed to do, we will win games. And that's the hard part because there are some teams that you can play your best and still not be good enough. But the head coach has to keep preaching it, has to. I'll take, for instance, right now, you look at teams that are 0-2, especially the New York Jets who played on Monday Night Football. They played against the Cleveland Browns. They're an 0-2 team, but I can tell you that Adam Gase probably walks in that locker room and that meeting room and tells his players, look, fellas, I know we didn't win on Monday night, right? But guess what? We're going to be better. We're going to be fine. We don't. We didn't have our starting quarterback. We didn't have our middle linebacker. We didn't have our first-round pick at, at defensive tackle. There's a lot of things that we just didn't have, but I felt like we played. We outgained them. We hit them hard. We're going to watch this film and say, we just got to make some corrections here or there. We're going to be fine, fellas. We got to move forward. See, those are the types of teams that can easily – you know, stay on board, start, you know, you know, putting no, get the water off the, off the ship. Like, no, we're going to make sure we're all right. We're going to sell this thing and make it all the way home. But then there's other teams, like I mentioned, hmm, the Miami Dolphins. It's just, it's tough. It, it really is. Or I could even throw in an NFC, I mean, the AFC West team, like the Denver Broncos. They've been close twice in two weeks. They've been close at, I mean, on the road against the Raiders on Monday night. At home last week in the jaws of pretty much victory and then defeat all at the same time in a matter of seconds. Those are the teams that are clinging on because they're working hard. They're just not finishing. Yeah, it seems like those Denver Broncos guys love Vic Fangio too. Correct. And the Dolphins is a really tough sell because, man, they're starting to look like they they could be in a running for the worst team of all time so far. <laughs> uh, but speaking of coaches that are getting the guys to buy in – Really good team win for us. Uh, anytime you can win a division game, especially against a quality opponent like the Minnesota Vikings, you can never take that for granted. And I think a lot of people kind of, um, you know, thought that the the Matt Lafleur relationship with Aaron Rodgers um, might not work out. But uh, getting into our you know our game reviews of the week, uh, I think Aaron Rodgers is starting to buy into. What Lafleur is trying to do, he made some big throw, throws against the Vikings. They they got off to a huge twenty-one to zero lead. 
Um, and they the offense kind of faltered, but you know, there's some the play calling got a little conservative. But you could again, you could start seeing um, why people, some people were excited to see Rodgers in an offense that involved a lot of play action because he 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 made a lot of really nice throws um, off the play action, off of bootleg in that game. And um, just watching that game right now, uh, I just watching that game uh, yesterday and reviewing the film. Uh, watching the Vikings, man, their passing game just look totally out of sync right now with um, with Kirk Cousins. They still have some weapons, so they still have some explosive potential, but there's just no no rhythm to their offense, uh, their passing game, and they can't block, and they're getting called for holding penalties. Uh, so the Vikings offense is a bit of a mess, um, and, and Green Bay's defense is playing lights out. What, what did you see in that game? Wow, Ted, so much, so much to talk about. I guess let's start with the team that won before we get over to the Minnesota Vikings. When I watch the Green Bay Packers, number one, the first thing that stands out to me, there's a commitment to the run game. And I can't believe that I'm saying this. I can't believe this is coming out of my mouth, Ted. There's a true commitment to the running game with Green Bay, whether it's Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams. I mean, both of these guys were running the football. And I'm more impressed with the way that Matt LaFleur has spiced it up a little bit. And when I say spiced it up is he's putting some two back sets, not not a tailback and a fullback. We're talking about two tailbacks in the game that have really, to me, has my eyes going one way, yet the ball's going the other way. That's what I've seen in the film. And I'm like, as a defensive player, as a linebacker, for me in particular, how difficult of a tax that is. Because here I am, I'm breaking the huddle as a, as a defensive player, and all of a sudden, uh-oh, we got two running backs in the game. What does that mean? Well, that means that they can run some outside zone in a fly sweep type series. They can run downhill runs. But it also it makes you have to worry about switching and exchanging gaps, having to know where you're at at all times. And I think that's just has that's added to what Aaron Rodgers has been able to do throwing the football. Because once they've got that run game going, we saw it last week, the combined 30, what is that, 33 carries between Jones and Williams. I mean, they rushed for over 140-plus yards. That's that's the kind of offense I did not see, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay having for, the what, the past 10, 15 years. It's never been about the run game. It was always about the arm of Aaron Rodgers. Think about this, Ted. When have we ever said that Aaron Rodgers threw for 209 and two touchdowns and we say he had an unbelievable game? That's what it is. We're used to 300-plus yards, four touchdowns, him having to carry the team. And Matt LaFleur has said, no, no, we're not going to have to ride your back the entire game. So I just really like the way that they've kind of moved around the personnel. And then Devontae Adams, if he's not up there as one of the elite receivers in the league, Ted, I'm watching this dude run routes. And he's lethal. They're lining him up outside, inside, and his catch radius for what Aaron Rodgers has been able to do. I don't know why Devontae Adams is not giving the love that he needs. So just kind of reviewing that game, that's what really stuck out to me from the offensive side of the Green Bay Packers. Defensively, their pass rush has been unbelievable. I knew the the, the additions of both Smiths, Preston, and Zadarius. I was like, okay, how is this going to work? But if you think about who's the guy running the ship now, Mike Pettin, defensive coordinator, I like the way that he's moving around. Remember, we laughed a lot over the last couple of years that, man, the Packers keep drafting cornerbacks, cornerbacks. And all of a sudden, now you look and say, 
ah, I get it. I understand now. Jair Alexander was one of the best corners I thought coming oh, yeah. out in the draft a couple of years ago. He's playing lights out in terms of man-to-man coverage. Um, a guy who I've watched since he was at Stanford, and he's really starting to come along. He probably won't get the hype of a lot of middle linebackers, but Blake Martinez has been playing downhill, a very cerebral linebacker. And, and that's where I think that this defense is really starting to take off is that they don't have a ton of big names, but they got a lot of solid football players. And that's what Mike Pettin kind of feasts on, guys who just do their job. And they made it tough on Kirk Cousins throughout the game. Now, that being said, I think me and you, Ted, could have lined up against that offensive line against Minnesota and ran through and made some plays on Kirk Cousins because that offensive line looked very poor. And I'm very surprised that that because I thought that was supposed to be one of the strong suits of that Minnesota Vikings offense and so I don't know if it was more of a defensive thing from Green Bay or was just that offensive line that poor for Green Bay. Yeah, I don't think I don't know if I could get pressure, but I could at least get blasted by the center so you could get in there. <laughs> you and get some cause pressure. Some havoc. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree. The Jair Alexander, I think he's playing some of the best corner um, in the league right now. Just watching him play, uh, he was jumping routes. He was covering guys deep. Um Coming out of the draft, I mean, I, I noticed that he he was had a lot of athletic ability. I thought he was very raw as, as far as his technique, but I thought, man, if this guy fix, cleans up his technique, he could be um, a really, really good corner in this league, and he's done that in his second year. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see to see him finish the year as one of the top corners. Um, but, yeah, like we talked about, the, the Vikings offense, they have playmakers, but they just they can't pass block. Uh, a lot of people are putting blame on Kirk Cousins, and he certainly has missed – Miss some receivers, correct? Uh, but it, it's difficult to play quarterback when you're getting harassed that much every game. Yeah, I mean, first of all, he's getting harassed, and then obviously, look, I think teams are, you know, kind of allowing them to run the football, right? Like they're allowing Dalvin Cook to go out and and run, and so he, Dalvin Cook's going to have a ton of yards each week. You know, last week he had twenty for one fifty four, right? But they're like, no, we'll allow you to do that, but we're not going to let Kirk Cousins play passing tournament on you, right? They're going to play more coverage, I think, and force him to have to throw in some tight windows. And when you're able to rush four and just five guys, that also eliminates a lot of the passing windows. And Kirk Cousins, honestly, just didn't have the time. I mean, he's literally getting sacked. I mean, while he's still taking a drop, they kept flushing him out of the pocket, which I think was, was great by Mike Pettin, is that one of the best things about Kirk Cousins is what? When he's throwing from the well, right? When he's throwing from the pocket, when he's able to scan the field, throw from the well, make a, make a throw, and he's got outstanding receivers. We know that. But what happens when you do what? Flush him out of the pocket. When you flush a, you know, a quarterback of his, you know, of his characteristics, of his skill set out of the pocket, it makes Kirk Cousins look very average and sometimes below average because that's not his game. His game has never been to throw on the run or be flushed out of the pocket and keep his eyes downfield. And even so, when you looked at how they were on third down, four of 13, that kind of shows you that they were they, they gave up, you know, they, they had the big runs, but they didn't have the runs on first and second down that kept them ahead of the chains, which forced some third down opportunities that that offensive line just couldn't hold up. Yeah, and uh, last point, we'll move on to the Saints-Rams game. But, um, you know, when they did get blocking, Dalvin Cook just looks really special in this outside zone system. He He's just so patient and smooth, makes his cuts at the perfect time. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the Vikings offense, I think eventually they'll be okay. They're going to have to live on a running game. And um, 
hope they get some protection in the play action game. But right now that um, offensive line is just does not look like it's improved much from last year. You're hitting your hands on stuff all the time, right? Helmets and different things. And, you know, you might get jam thumbs, jam fingers, you know, different things where it swells up and what have you. But um, this felt like it was something a bit more significant, preventing me from gripping the ball. Uh, but moving on to the Saints-Rams games, uh, obviously, the, you know, there was a lot of anticipation going to this game, but Drew Brees hurting his hand early really kind of tanked this game. Teddy Bridgewater, I think it's going to be a good quarterback, but... You could tell that he just didn't have a lot of rhythm with the starters, and that's what that's, that's what happens with second string quarterbacks is um, they don't get the, the reps with the, the starting offense. Um, he was just missing on little timing patterns with Michael Thomas, and there's a lot of route adjustments and option routes in that offense, and he he just wasn't on the same page with some of his guys. Um, but on, on the flip side, the, the Rams looked pretty good. Um, again, Malcolm Brown just breaking tons of tackles and keeping Todd Gurley fresh. Uh, one thing that interesting that I, I saw was the Saints actually tried to copy the Patriots' um, defensive game plan in the Super Bowl, and they tried to use that same game plan with a six-one, uh, and they tried to play some cover four, cover three behind that, um, and it it was kind of effective. But um, the but I, Sean McVay, I think you know he thought about that game a lot, and they did some things differently. They tossed the ball out to try to get the ball to perimeter quickly instead of running some stretch. They they lined up an empty a lot to get them out of that six one, um, and Cooper Cup was was a big difference in this game that you know, obviously they didn't have in the Super Bowl. Uh, him in the blocking game and just being able to beat his man one on one was a it was a huge factor in uh, in this game. Yeah, it, it was a good game to watch because I, I'm talking about elite skill sets and elite coaching, right? This is one of those games that if you're a fan of the NFL and you can go back and watch this tape. You've got two of the best offensive minds, I think, in the National Football League on one side and Sean Payton and the other side in, in Sean McVay. So when I looked at the, you know, obviously the New Orleans Saints, it, you know, you come in with Drew Brees at quarterback and obviously he went down early on. And so when he went down, it really the one thing that really stuck out to me, Ted, is that the offense is not the same with Teddy Bridgewater. Like, you know, people always say that, oh, when the backup quarterback, there is no drop off. Yes, there's a drop-off. There's a drop-off in, ta- in talent, obviously. Drew Brees is a first-ballot Hall of Famer. But what happens is Teddy Bridgewater, especially the guy who I've watched when he was at Louisville, when he was uh, his first couple years in Minnesota, and even now, he's never been the guy that I thought that was uh, can throw from the well for the most part. I'd love to see Teddy Bridgewater more with some bootlegs, some waggles. He- he's a great thrower on the run. He's kind of the the difference. You know, I talked a little bit earlier about Kirk Cousins. He's totally different. He's a guy that can get out on, on the bootlegs and, and look downfield and stop and throw. And I like more of the improvisation that he can have with a, you know, a, you know, with Malcolm, sorry, Brown, Michael Brown, but uh, with Michael Thomas, you know, with the Ted Ginn, he's got guys who can convert some routes and go deep down the field. So that's what I think what happened was they tried to stick within the game plan and keeping Teddy Bridgewater within that pocket. I mean, the Rams just started to feast on him. So that's what I saw from them offensively, that they're going to struggle. I don't know what they're going to do over the next couple of weeks and how they change the game plan, because you can't go off what Drew Brees likes. You can't go off of, you know, kind of what the offense looked like before. It has to change especially for the skill set of Teddy Bridgewater. Defensively, like you mentioned, I thought the Saints played well. I thought that Cam Jordan had a nice uh, matchup with Rob Havenstein, the right tackle for the Rams, and he just kept abusing 
Um, Trey Hendrickson, uh, the, the the other defensive end, he had a big field day as well on the other side, more so being able to get up the field and just kind of twist inside. It really gave the Rams fits early on. But when you think about it, the Rams, what they were able to do in terms of, like you mentioned, offensively, they have the extension of the run game is also with the receivers. You mentioned it. All three receivers had a carry. Okay, we're talking about Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and Brandon Cooks. That is just keeping the defense honest. But those little runs, you know, baby, it only happens once a game per receiver. But those are the ones that, that kind of irk you because now you got to be on your horse is what we call it if you're playing man coverage. You know, whether it's Lattimore or Williams, those guys are like, okay, if those if my receiver goes in motion – I can't, you know, take my time and lollygag. I got to run with that motion because he can actually take a handoff and keep going. So that's all part of the Rams offense. But the for the, the, the bigger thing that I saw too, though, Ted, was that, you know, having been at that game, the Rams just kept – it was penalties that forced them to, you know, just to stop their drives, really. I mean, they get down there. And this is also one of my criticisms of Coach Sean McVay, Ted, as much of a good play crawler he is, when you get inside the 10-yard line, I'm just not going into this 10 personnel, 11 personnel. I'm going to try to run the football more. I've got Todd Gurley, and it's some reason, it's like when I played against LaDainian Tomlinson and they got inside the 10-yard line when he was with the Chargers, I didn't have to worry about the quarterback throwing the ball. I just It's just certain guys, they smell the end zone, you give it to them, and they find it. I thought Sean McVay does a, is, is not doing a good enough job getting the ball to his you know, running backs and letting him go sniff it out and go find the end zone. So that's one big part of things that I, I can definitely see. So you think um, he's being too cute in the red zone? You think he just needs uh, to go downhill and run the ball down the, the gut more in, the, in those situations? Ted, being way too cute. Like, come on, really? <laughs> like, Sean McVay, run the ball, especially with this is the key thing for people out there listening. If you watch the Rams football the Rams in the game had three guys in the middle of their offensive line that had two years or less of experience. Brian Allen is a first-year starter, second year in the National Football League. Uh, Joseph Noteboom, the left guard, you know, second year in the league. And then Jamil Dimby came in for Austin Blythe, and he was on a practice squad last year. So this is actually his first year technically playing. So the inside of that offensive line, I'm not so sure I want to have those guys pass blocking i'm going to say hey let's go maul some guys and get some good push and build their confidence up so that's why i think there's a little criticism on sean mcveigh now i did coin this though ted looking at the rams defense and watching them go against the breeze and the saints i call it the california convertible defense all right you know why i call it the california california convertible defense ted why is that because because I thought the Rams secondary played with the top down, meaning that they pulled that convertible top and had it, you know, from top down. Basically, they stayed on top, allowed everything, kept everything in front of them, and they just tackled. Okay, they didn't allow Michael Thomas to get deep. They didn't allow, you know, Ted Ginn to get deep. They didn't allow a lot of these receivers. Well, get Ginn didn't uh, necessarily have that opportunity, but. They didn't allow Traquan Smith and some of those other guys to get deep. They kept everything in front of them. And look, Michael Thomas is going to have 10 catches every week. But 10 catches for 89 yards, zero touchdowns, uh, my job is done. We did our job. 
you keep him out of the end zone, you can have a million catches, no touchdowns. I know Darrell Reavers told me that a long time ago. I used to go joke with him, good friend of mine. And I said, man, that guy had eight catches on you. He had nine catches on you. Oh, this dude had 10 catches on you. He says, yeah, but when they beat me for a touchdown, give me a call. <laughs> I said, well, okay. He said, you can give him all. He said, you can manufacture catches. He can catch a screen pass three times. That's three catches. He can catch a five-yard hitch. If I'm playing seven yards off, I'll give you that. But when they make touchdowns, those are the ones that hurt. So I thought the Rams did a great job of playing top down, meaning staying on top of everything and, and breaking up. And I saw it with Eric Weddle coming in and making a hit, forcing a, a ball in the air that got intercepted by John Johnson. Yeah, I, I thought the Rams were just a, a, a really exclusively bump and run man team. But watching their defense, they played a lot of quarters and they backed mm-hmm. their guys off. They were, they were far yeah. off. So they, they, they just didn't want Bridgewater beat them deep. And they just wanted to challenge him to drive the field. And as a good game plan, especially against a second-string quarterback that doesn't have much rhythm in the offense, and it worked. They only scored nine points. Um, a bit of controversy with the, uh, the the fumble that could have been returned for a touchdown there. But overall, uh, you know, that's not on the defense. The, the Rams' defense did a good job. Uh, the Rams' offense, they were good enough. and got a 27-9 win against a good team. Just trying to stay in the pocket and make things happen from there. I got a lot of skill positions. The O-line protected really well for me and kept, kept me upright and kept me where I could just move around the pocket and make throws. Um, so another matchup that we were anticipating that was going to be a lot better than it actually was was the uh, Chiefs and Raiders. I actually picked the Raiders to upset the Chiefs. But they, didn't, they didn't get close to half the <laughs> they went you up do to, that? Who told you to do cause, that? Because the Raiders play the Chiefs good at home, typically. Who told you that? So, you know, and I... <laughs> And I thought, I thought, okay, maybe um, Patrick Mahomes is a little hobbled. He can't get outside the pocket. Uh, maybe this is the game where the Raiders could actually pull it off. But and I was looking good. It was 10-0 in the first quarter. I was feeling good, and all of a sudden, the second quarter happened. And uh, the, you know, you get reminded that Patrick Mahomes is by far the best quarterback in the league. I don't think anybody's even close. I mean, the guy's hobbled, can't really scramble. Puts up 28 points in the second quarter. Uh, some of that had to do with uh, just really bad miscommunications with the Raiders secondary. Um, mm. Obviously, <laughs> I, I, I kind of uh, underestimated the impact that Jonathan Abrams' injury would have because um, the Raiders tried to move Daryl Worley to play safety. They tried to mi- mix up a bunch of coverages on a short week. Um, and then there was at least two really bad miscommunications that led to easy touchdowns for uh, the Chiefs, including one on, I think, third and 23 um, yeah, third and twenty. Yeah, yeah, and man, the Chiefs are just—they just look dangerous. They just know how to find receivers. Like, who expected Demarcus Robinson to have a huge game? Um, so that yeah, the Chiefs just keep on rolling. The the Raiders offense um, just kind of got exposed. They just don't have a lot of receiver depth at all. Um, Tyrell Williams started off the game strong, then he had a hip injury and just didn't look like he could run afterwards. And after that, nobody could get open. Um, so. Uh, tough day for the Raiders, uh, but this yeah you know, the Chiefs are one of the best teams in the in the league for a reason, and uh, yeah they ended up losing the game twenty eight to ten. Uh, look, you know me, I'm a former Raider. I love my love my Raiders. Always born and raised in Oakland, California, but you know I get paid as an analyst to be <laughs> critical of things that I see, and that's the one thing that I thought this off season was that the whole Antonio Brown kind of you know chaos you know, clouded a lot of people's uh, minds in looking deep at this roster, especially in the secondary 
and really feeling as if, oh, wow, th- this this roster is actually pretty good, like the secondary. And I'm just looking and I'm saying, can this roster compete within their own division? Can they compete within their own division? Um, because I look at what Kansas City is going to roll out there. I look at what the Chargers are going to roll out there. And I'm about matchups. That's why I kind of laughed in the beginning. Ted, because I'm about matchups. That's what I look at the NFL. The NFL, like one week, you're like, oh, man, he was this guy was balling. I said, yeah, but the matchup is going to be different next week. You know what I mean? It's just certain players play better against certain players. It was like that for me. I know one week it will be like, man, going against this running back, and he probably wouldn't be a household name, but I'm like, man, he would give me fits. You know, like playing against the Denver running backs back in the day. You know, it'd be like a guy like Mike Bell would like give me fits because they were downhill runners. They they never really, you know, gave away what they were doing. But then I would go against like a Larry Johnson, you know, or, you know, some of the other big, like a Jamal Lewis, those guys. And I'm like, oh, this is easy because they're just they're, they're powerful guys. But if I get to them before they can get going, they, they, they I can neutralize them. I bring all of that up because I watch this Raiders defense. And for me, the one thing that stood out to me, and this is what I know kind of demoralizes you, when your best cover guy can't guard the other team's tight end, you're in for a long day. That's just just how it is, okay? So your best cover guy is Gary and Conley, and all of a sudden you got Travis Kelsey, who's the other team's tight end, and you can't – I mean, man-to-man. I mean, Travis Kelsey, to me, I I just – marveling at him watching routes, the way that he stems his routes, Ted. I can't, like, that's, receivers can't do what he's doing. Meaning, like, giving you a, a, a feel as if he's going to go across the field, yet being able to stop, turn back around, numerous third downs, he was able to do that. It's really a plug and play for them. You, you mentioned Robinson, right? The, the, uh, Demarcus Robinson. No one really knew who he was. I kind of knew who he was because he was going to play a role within his defense with so much attention on Kelsey, with so much attention on Sammy Watkins. They also have guys like McCole Hardman as well who can take the top off a of defense, right? They're just told, just go. We've got a quarterback who's just going to throw it to you. And the Raiders, just the communication, it was just, uh, it, it was brilliant by Andy Reid because a lot of the things that they were doing was a lot of influencing, right? It was coming off motion. It was, you know, those tight bunch splits, right, with uh, what we call switch releases, meaning that you have one guy who's supposed to come off the line first actually waits a half a beat. Everyone goes out and then they come out last. So where the routes develop and everyone's kind of scattering around and this one guy just runs through the seam for wide open for a touchdown. So there there was just so much that I saw on, on this game that I was just like, first of all, Patrick Mahomes is a bad, bad dude. But I thought the Raiders offensively as well. I mean, Josh Jacobs is going to get a ton of carries. But where was the downfield passing that I heard all offseason that this team was going to do? Where is it at? And that's where I thought that Antonio Brown, the Raiders needed him more than Antonio needed the Raiders because he was the guy that I really thought was going to make this offense go in terms of getting down, you know, down the field, wide open, running free. He's the one guy that doesn't need a scheme, right? He's schemeless, if that makes sense, right? Antonio Brown is schemeless. Antonio, go get open. He can do that. I'm not so sure anybody on this roster for the Raiders can just go out there and go get open without the scheme. For continued coverage on Week 2 recaps, preview into Week 3, and players to watch, visit theathletic.com slash runthefilm.